We come this morning to the concluding message in our series through John's three letters. And John has been practical throughout, but probably nowhere more practical than in 3 John, because the theme is hospitality. Last week we saw the shining example of a man by the name of Gaius. This morning we're going to see the sorry example of a man by the name of Diotrephes. And to help you get a handle on this whole little postcard, I'm going to give you a comprehensive outline. I was described last week as the king of alliteration, so I'm going to give you seven points. Number one, the preference of hospitality, verses one and two. And here John says to Gaius, I love you. I want the very best for you. In fact, I desire that you would prosper as well outwardly as you are inwardly. Now, I want to suggest to you that that is the preference of hospitality. If we're going to be effective at hospitality, it has to start here by preferring the well-being of other people over that of ourselves. Second point, the practice of hospitality. And that's in verses 3 through the first part of verse 6. And here John says that Christian preachers and missionaries who have been to your church keep coming and they keep saying the same thing about you, Gaius. Two things they say, two things they bear witness to. The first is in verse 3. They bear witness to your truth because you're walking in it. And the second is in verse 6. They bear witness to your love because of all that you do not only for the brethren, but for strangers. Second John was written to the chosen lady who had love that wasn't balanced with truth. So John had to tell her not to allow false teachers into her house. Third John is written to Gaius who had both love and truth in abundance and in balance. That's the practice of hospitality. Third is the perspective of hospitality. And that's at the end of verse 6 where he says, send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. The proper perspective as you show hospitality is that you are entertaining the Lord himself. You know, we find Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2 very exciting where it says, do not neglect to show hospitality because in this way some have entertained angels unawares. Well, Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 10, 40, He who receives you, receives me. And He said to all of us in Matthew 25, 40, To the extent that you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see, showing hospitality to your brother is actually showing hospitality to Christ Himself. And that's the perspective of hospitality. Fourth is the purpose of hospitality. And that's in verses 7 and 8. And those two verses tell us that when you entertain, support, provide for those who have gone out for the sake of the name of Christ, you become a fellow worker with them. You become a co-worker with them. You share in their ministry. By staying home, you can actually help take the gospel around the world through hospitality. That's the purpose of it. And then fifth, we come to where we want to pick up this morning, and that's the perversion of hospitality in verses 9 and 10. 
Notice verse 9. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. Now, apparently, in the same church where Gaius was, there was another man by the name of Diotrephes. Gaius was hospitality personified. Diotrephes was hospitality perverted. John actually wrote a letter to this church, apparently dealing with this subject of hospitality, and Diotrephes vetoed it. He rejected it. It's very likely it never even got read to the church, and we don't have that letter today, maybe because Diotrephes destroyed it. In fact, that's apparently why John is now writing to Gaius personally, because he knows if he writes to the church again, the letter will never reach the people. Now, it sounds pretty amazing to me that a church leader, as Diotrephes must have been, would actually have the audacity not to listen to and not to have fellowship with the last remaining apostle, John. You say, well, why would he do that? What was his problem? Well, John sums it up in one phrase in verse 9. He says, he loves to be first among them. The King James Version says, he loves to have the preeminence. That's one Greek word, philoprotos. Phileo, love, protos, to rank first. He loved to rank first. Now, that's not a new disease in the church. In fact, you can go all the way back to the beginning to see an example of that. The first sin that we ever know was committed is described in Isaiah chapter 14. It says, Lucifer said this, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the Most High. I will be first. And God cast him down. Daniel chapter 4 is a testimony. If you like testimonies, read Daniel chapter 4. It's written in the first person. It's a testimony of the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. This is what he says. He says, one day I was walking on the roof of my royal palace, looking at all that I had accomplished, and this is what I said. I said, is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? That's pretty arrogant. And the Bible says, while the words were still in his mouth, God drove him away from mankind for seven years. And for those seven years, he ate grass like cattle, his hair grew like eagle's feathers, and his nails grew like bird's claws. And at the end of that time, he came to his senses, and he finishes his testimony this way, last verse of Daniel 4. I now praise and exalt and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Acts chapter 12 describes King Herod. He was addressing the people in all his royal apparel. 
And the people of Tyre and Sidon were trying to win his affection so make, that he would make a peace treaty with them. And so they said this, the voice of a god and not a man. And King Herod liked the sound of that, but God didn't. And it says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. Now that's not the order you want that to happen in. He was eaten by worms and he died. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 1, Jesus said to the disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in the chair of Moses I want you to do what they say, but don't do what they do. Because, he says, they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. And then he mentions a few. He says, they broaden their phylacteries and they lengthen their tassels. Phylacteries were those little leather boxes. They, they strapped them to their forehead or to their arm near their heart as they prayed. And they were meant to be reminders to the individual because Scripture was inside those little leather boxes. Reminder to that individual to do the commands of God. They broadened their phylacteries to impress other people. The tassels were little things on the, the end of their robes. And in Numbers chapter 15, it says, they are there to remind the individual who is wearing the robe that I am to obey the commands of God. They lengthened their tassels to impress other people. And then Jesus goes on to say, they love the place of honor at banquets. They love the chief seats in the synagogues. They love respectful greetings in the marketplaces. They love to be called rabbi. They love to be first. Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter 10 and verse 31, many who are first will be last and the last first. Now he states this principle for the kingdom of God. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. Four verses later, James and John come to him and ask to be first. We want one to sit on your right and the other to sit on your left in glory. And Jesus says, essentially, it's not mine to give. But you know what happens right after that? It says, the other disciples became indignant. Now, why did they become indignant? Well, because they didn't think of it first. They didn't think to ask first. You see, this was the debate they were always having. Which of the disciples was the greatest? In fact, that's why they were sitting in the upper room the night before Jesus died with dirty feet because the Bible says they were arguing about who was the greatest. And Jesus says to them, after James and John come to him, he repeats the principle. He says, the Gentile rulers lorded over people. And the ones in the world that people call great men exercise authority. But it's not so with you. Because whoever wishes to be great shall be a servant, and whoever wishes to be first of all shall be slave of all. Now, the disciples later learned that lesson. Diotrephes did not. He saw other 
Christian leaders as a threat. In fact, he saw the apostle John as a threat. A threat to what? A threat to his little kingdom. A threat to his dictatorship over the local church. He loved the preeminence. He loved to be first. You know, this word is only used one other place in the New Testament. And that's in Colossians 1.18 where it says, Christ is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Jesus Christ alone is the preeminent one. Jesus is first. And you see, when we understand that, then we understand that Diotrephes was seeking to usurp the position that Christ alone holds. Whenever anyone desires to control a local church for his own self-interest or his own self-glory, he is seeking to dethrone Jesus Christ. That person is a New Testament Absalom. Remember Absalom? He's the son of David who tried to take his father's king. Whenever someone desires to be first, whenever someone tries to control the local church, he is leading a coup against the throne of Christ. He is declaring himself king. He is declaring himself head. And that attitude has no place in the church. That's why the Bible makes it clear that there are to be plural leaders in the local church so that no one man is in control. And that's why the Bible makes it clear to leaders in 1 Peter 5, 3 that we are not to lord it over those allotted to our charge, but we are to prove to be examples to the flock. Leaders in the church are not shouting orders from above. They are serving from below. They are leading by example. They are desiring to be the greatest of all by being servants of all. Gaius did that. Diotrephes did not. Gaius loved strangers. Diotrephes loved to be first. Gaius is an example of hospitality. Diotrephes is the antithesis of hospitality. He loved the preeminence. He loved to be first. And you know, unfortunately, that attitude did not die with Diotrephes. Unfortunately, there are many churches where an individual in leadership, many times a pastor, sometimes an influential church member, wealthy church member, influences and controls a local church. And that's a problem we all struggle with because if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that there's a temptation to desire to be honored, to desire to be praised, to desire to take control, to desire to be first, to desire to lord it over other people. That's a disease that still mars the church. A.T. Robertson once wrote a, an article on the character of Diotrephes. It was published in his denomination's newspaper. 
the editor later came to him and said 25 deacons canceled their subscriptions to show their resentment for being personally attacked. Diotrephes has many children. And then notice John's intended course of action in verse 10. He says, For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does. If I come, I'm going to point out what Diotrephes is doing. If I come, I'm going to make an issue out of this. Now John's response here tells me that this is not a theological issue with Diotrephes. Because if this was a theological issue, he would definitely deal with it. In fact, he dealt with it in 2 John, how to deal with that. See, this is not a doc, an issue of doctrinal heresy. This is an issue of personal ambition. The problem here is not theological. The problem is chronological. Diotrephes loved to be first. And John goes on in verse 10 to describe Diotrephes' actions. Four phrases. The first, he unjustly accuses us with wicked words. That word is translated in 1 Timothy 5.13, gossip. It's a word that literally means to boil over with bubbles. He just keeps, every time he talks, he just keeps boiling over with wicked words about John and other teachers. You see, he saw John as a rival to his own assumed authority, and so he sought to undermine John's position by slanderously gossiping against him. Second phrase, and not satisfied with this, neither does he himself receive the brethren. He refused to show hospitality. He closed the door on all the brethren. He closed the door on all those who were a threat to his little kingdom. They went out for the sake of the name. He kept them out for the sake of his own name. And then the third phrase, and he forbids those who desire to do so. Anyone who desired to receive these brethren, he stopped them. And then the fourth phrase, and he puts them out of the church. If they did receive these brothers, he put them out. This guy was excommunicating people for hospitality, which tells me it's very likely by the time Gaius got this letter, he had been booted out of the church. So here you've got a church where the faithful Christians have been put out and those who are still there are following a carnal dictator. And the root problem of it all is pride. Wouldn't you agree that most of the disasters that happen in the church come from that same root? You know, a church would be a wonderful place if we didn't have people. But we've got to make all of our personalities fit together. We've got to work in unity. We've got to cooperate. We've got to serve together. And the greatest obstacle to that is our pride. It's our personal vanity. If we could take that out, if we could subtract that out of everybody's life, we would move along as a cohesive unit. 
In fact, Paul wrote this to the church at Philippi in Philippians 2.2. He said, I want you to be of the same mind, the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. How? Next verse tells us, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. The key to unity is humility. And humility is expressed by caring more about others than you do about yourself. See, it's to be the opposite of diatrophies. If you want an alliteration, it's the word joy. J-O-Y. Put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. So we see two men who loved Gaius loved others. Diotrephes loved himself. And he shows us the perversion of hospitality. Sixth point is the pattern of hospitality in verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Diotrephes, but I assume he probably said some pretty good things. In fact, he might have been a good teacher. He likely was dogmatic about his positions. He may have been witty. He may have been popular. But the issue here is not what he said. It's what he did. He slandered other servants of God. He refused to receive them. He sought to control the church. He loved to be first. And since he had a strong influence in the church, John gives a warning. He says, be careful who you follow. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. You see, it's not wrong to imitate. In fact, this Greek word is the Greek word mimu, from which we get our word mimic. It's natural to look to other people as models. Everybody is an imitator. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. There's nothing wrong with imitating. The exhortation is to imitate the right people. And so John says, let me give you a good model to imitate. Verse 12, Demetrius. Now, who's Demetrius? Well, Demetrius was a, apparently the mail carrier. And that day, they didn't have the post office. So Demetrius is apparently the guy who is delivering this message from John to Gaius. And apparently, Gaius didn't know him very well, but he would be one who would be on Diotrephes' list of people who would not be received. And so he's coming with the letter, and John gives him a commendation. And it's a threefold testimony in verse 12. First of all, he says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. He has a good reputation. All who know him say he's a good man. Second, he has received a good testimony from the truth itself. His life matches up with the Word of God. You, you take his life and you hold it up to the Word of God and it fits. It's in harmony. 
Like Gaius, he is a man who walked in the truth. And then thirdly, he says, and we also bear witness, and you know our witness is true. John says to Gaius, you may not have heard the testimony of all men about this this guy Demetrius, and you may not have seen how his life matches up with the Word of God, but you do know me, and I endorse him. That's pretty good criteria when you evaluate someone as to whether they are a man of God or not. What do people say? What does his life say when compared with the Word of God? And what do reputable teachers of the Word of God say about him? And the conclusion about Demetrius is that he is a good man. Regardless of what Diotrephes may say about him in slander, he's a good man. And not only is he a good man, he's a good pattern to be imitated. You know, that's one of the reciprocal benefits of hospitality. When I was in Bible college in Chicago, we used to travel out to a a little place outside of Chicago about 40 minutes called Warrenville. It's probably part of Chicago now. I haven't been there recently. But several of us college students would travel out there on Sunday. We would go to church there, and then a family in the church every Sunday would take us home for dinner and feed us, and we would hang around in the afternoon, sometimes go home early, sometimes stay for their evening service. But we'd be in their house every Sunday afternoon. And I remember talking to one of those couples one time and saying, you know, we really appreciate what you're doing for us, and this is really an expression of love and so forth. And and they said, well, yes, we want to do that because we love you and we love the Lord, but, they said, we also want to give our children some role models. You see, the reciprocal part of opening your home to let these kind of people come in with this kind of character as Demetrius had is that it's a pattern of hospitality that you get to live next to and see and benefit from. That's the pattern of hospitality. And then seventh and finally is the prospect of hospitality in verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, I had many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. John says, I've got so much to say, but I don't want to write it down. Instead, I hope to come to you soon and enjoy some of your hospitality face to face. See, that's the prospect of hospitality. But until then, notice what John says at the end of verse 14. Until then, peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Gaius is in a church where Diotrephes is stirring up all kinds of strife, and so he leaves him with two appropriate, encouraging thoughts. The first is a prayer for peace in the midst of that conflict, and the second is a reminder that you have friends who are standing with you at this time. Isn't that good? He closes the letter. I want you to have peace, and I want to remind you, you've got friends who are with you. I'm going to ask the praise band to come up as we get ready to close the service. But as I say that, I don't want you to close your minds. I want you to listen to me. Because four men are mentioned in this short book. And we need to learn something from each of them. We need to learn from the love of John. 
We need to learn from the hospitality of Gaius. We need to learn from the goodness of Demetrius. And I think we especially need to learn from the pride of Diotrephes. It would be my desire that people would say about me and say about you, he loved to be last. Because in God's economy, that's not a bad place to be. Because Jesus said what? The last shall be first. Our desire this morning is the opposite of Diotrephes, and that is to be last. But guess what? You can't do that alone. You need, just like I need, the presence and power of God in your heart and in your life and in your conflicts if you are going to experience the kind of peace that John is talking about. And that's really what we're here this morning for, isn't it? To call out to God in prayer, to reach up to God in worship, to open up our hearts before God, to say, God, I listened to what you said today. I want to apply it to my life. We're going to close our, our service this morning with the prayer. And I'd like you to stand as we sing it together. It's the song, Give Me One Pure and Holy Passion. Give me one ambition. And that ambition is to run after you. Not to be behind you, Lord, to follow you and to run after you, to make you first on this Palm Sunday. Let's declare him to be first, him to be king, and ourselves to be last. I'm going to give you an invitation to come as we sing together. Whatever your need may be today, you come as we sing together.